following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. The United States Marine Corps traces his existence, its existence back to the year 1775. The Second Continental Congress authorized the recruiting of 300 men to form the first Marine Battalion. Ever since, they have been uh, a quick response force, the first on the scene wherever in the world there is a, a threat to our national security. The, the, the Marines are the, the tip of the spear, as they like to say. The Marines over the years have been, become renowned for their, their core values, honor, courage, and commitment. They train by these core values and, and, and depend on them to help them make the right decision, whether they're in uniform on the battlefield or, or later on in their life. Honor, courage, commitment. I think about those core values when I'm reading about the Pharisees in Holy Scripture. No, no, don't, don't get me wrong. At a certain point in the ministry of Jesus, the, the Pharisees became very jealous of Jesus' popularity among the people. And at a certain point, the Pharisees conspired to put our Lord to death. But before that happened, any genuine Pharisee would, would follow the code of, of honor, courage, and commitment. They would have considered it an honor to be the, the teachers of Israel, those who properly would communicate to their fellow Israelites the, the word of the Lord as recorded in Scripture. And they, they needed courage to defend the Scriptures against those who would attack it or those who would doubt it. And as for their commitment, at least on uh, as visible to the eye, their commitment was extraordinary. The Pharisees had derived from the Old Testament the 613 mitzvot, the, the 613 commandments. Each Pharisee would memorize the, the mitzvot, the, the, the commandments, Hebrew word, and and, and then they would dedicate themselves to, to working very hard to obey them. But apparently, one of them is starting to have some second thoughts. A well-known Pharisee, a highly respected leader among his fellow Jews, uh, a, a man devoted to the code, Nicodemus had concerns and he wanted to talk to Jesus about them. But he was also concerned that others might not understand whether he was still committed to, to the code of, of honor and courage and commitment. So he, he, he comes to Jesus at night. 
And immediately he expresses how much he admires from Jesus. We know, teacher, that, that, that you have come from God. He says, because otherwise, how could you do all these miraculous signs? But Jesus isn't at all interested in discussing his miraculous signs. Uh, Jesus isn't really concerned at the moment about the good works that Nicodemus has been doing or even his own good works. No, Jesus confronts Nicodemus immediately with a very difficult truth. He tells them, Nicodemus, this is God's honest truth. You cannot enter into God's kingdom unless you've been born again. I've known a number of people in my life who have said that they've been born again. Some say that when they've when they've made a decision to turn away from destructive and damaging habits and and turn toward those habits that are healthy and and, and good for other people as well. Uh, they'll say that decision that, that that's like a rebirth to me. Some will say they've been reborn when they finally found satisfaction in their work or or found peace in their home. And, and many people say that they, they were born again when they committed themselves to obeying the Lord Jesus Christ and honoring him with their ways. And yet, to some extent, all of that sort of misses the point, doesn't it? I mean, even, even Nicodemus got that. Nicodemus realized there's, there's really nothing, nothing you or I can do to be reborn. We, we can't make decisions or do heroic deeds to, to, get a, to bring about a rebirth. He even says, certainly people cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born again. So Jesus explains. He says that, being born again is not a matter of what, what you decide or what you do. It's a matter of water and the Spirit. He points out that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. He, he's mysterious in, in where he comes from and where he's going and precisely what he's doing. Nobody can completely explain what the Holy Spirit is doing in, in our lives. And yet the Holy Spirit does often do mighty work connected with water. Through that means he brings somebody into the kingdom of God as he rescues them from the dominion of darkness through water and the spirit, God grants a new birth. Over the course of a lifetime, I've, I've seen a number of infants being baptized. I'm sure you have too. So what's going on when a when a, when a small child, a one-week-old, a three-week-old, a three-month-old, three what, what's happening when a newborn is baptized? 
Scripture actually tells us what's happening, doesn't it? Scripture says that all human beings, including little babies, are sinful from birth. King David wrote that in Scripture. Sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so as a sinful from birth human being, a baby is subject to God's justice. In fact, God, in his justice, could rightly punish a child for their sin, the sin in which they were born. And yet nobody in their right mind would tell that little baby. Now what you have to do is you have to commit yourself to doing only good things in your life and never do anything that's bad. And nobody in their right mind would would tell a child, you need to devote yourself to honoring Jesus Christ with everything you do from, from, from the day of your birth onward. No, in a little baby girl's baptism, the Holy Spirit uses simple water to wash away all her sins, including those sins that will take place for the rest of her life. In a little boy's baptism, the Holy Spirit works with simple water to bring that little boy into God's kingdom. In a baby's baptism, in a teenager's baptism, in a grown-up's baptism, the Holy Spirit works something that's humanly impossible and brings somebody to a new birth unto eternal life in Christ. That's not really all that different than what God did for Abraham 4,000 years earlier. When we first meet Abraham, he's not somebody who has distinguished himself by his commitment to obeying 613 laws. Nobody would have pointed to Abraham and said, of all the people on earth, this is the one whose good works are so great that God must be pleased with him. No, God comes to Abraham, of all the people on the earth, and God says, I will bless you. Tells him, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you a blessing for others. I will bless the land in which you live and give that to you. And through you, Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed. The Apostle Paul helps us understand that. He points out that Abraham was made right before his God, not by, on the basis of how hard he was working at, at obeying God's laws. No, Paul points out that Abraham was made right before God as a gift. God spoke his great promises to Abraham by grace. And he shaped Abraham's heart and mind to believe those promises. He gave Abraham a new birth into a new life of faith that rests on God's gracious promises. So this 
this descendant of Abraham, he comes to Jesus at night. Jesus speaks to him about rebirth of water and the spirit. Being born again of baptism's grace, that's how someone enters the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, accustomed to a, a, a lifetime of, of honor, courage, commitment to those 613 mitzvot, to those 613 commandments, to working very hard at obeying them, he, he, he still doesn't understand what he's hearing. So Jesus takes him to an infamous day in the history of Abraham's descendants. They'd become a great nation. And, and God was leading them to the land he had first promised to Abraham. These Israelites, they're out in the wilderness and, and they become accustomed to complaining against God because of the of the food he provides them to eat and the, and the water that he provides them to drink. Their complaining has become so bold and so bitter that, that God decides to discipline them. He sends snakes, poisonous snakes. They bite many of these people and many die. But then the Lord provides a way out. He tells Moses Make a snake out of bronze and, and put it up on a pole so that everyone who looks to that bronze snake, after they've been bitten, they will live. And that's precisely what happens. Moses makes a snake out of bronze. He puts it up on a pole. And, and, and those that were bitten by poisonous snakes, they, they looked at that snake up on the pole and they lived. Now, why is Jesus talking to Nicodemus about that account? Why does God put that account in Scripture for you and me? He doesn't leave any of us in, in suspense. Jesus went on to say, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man must be lifted up. Lifted up on a pole in the shape of a cross. Jesus would suffer God's punishment in, in the place of natural-born sinners. Lifted up on a, on a pole in the shape of a cross, the Son of God would be abandoned by his heavenly Father and, 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 and suffer hell in our place. Lifted up on a pole in the shape of a cross, Everyone who looks to Jesus in faith will have eternal life, will live forever. Jesus Christ, crucified for us, is God's gift of love to us. Holy baptism in his name, water and spirit together, is a gift of God's love. Holy communion with the body and blood of Christ given in bread and wine is a gift of God's love. Faith in our Lord and Savior and in the gifts of his word and sacrament. Faith is a gift of God's love. And salvation from our sins, 
and from the devil's lies and from death itself. Salvation is a gift of God's love for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son as a gift that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's sometimes said that Christians living under the, the, the New Testament have it much easier than than people like those Pharisees who wanted to live under the Old Testament. After all, people will say, we don't have 613 laws to obey. We have just 10 commandments. And, and those 10 commandments, they're, they're summarized with just two. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it's not that simple, is it? Many of you, of you have studied Martin Luther's small catechism because it's a, it's, it's a faithful presentation of Christian teaching. 19 of our young people at Living Savior are currently studying Luther's catechism. You want to know how many pages in Luther's catechism are devoted to God's commandments for those who live under the, the, new, the new covenant, the new, the new Testament? 75 pages. And some of those pages have as many as, as 12 Bible passages on them. Some study came out where somebody pointed out that there actually are 800 commandments for Christians living under the New Testament to obey which perhaps shouldn't surprise us because it's Jesus himself who said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Which, which my friend, is a, is a daunting task. It, it's an impossible undertaking for those who are naturally born in sin. Except you've come to, to know and believe that, that the work of Jesus Christ was to earn righteousness for us. You, you come to know and believe that the, the gift of God is to give that righteousness through all who have come to believe in the in, in the the obedient life that Jesus lived for us and in his sacrificial death. And you've come to know and believe that the kingdom of God belongs to, to those who have been born of water and the spirit, even to little children. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We say and hear those words at the start of a worship service. And then we say and hear those words at, at the announcement of God's forgiveness. We say and hear those words in our songs and in our prayers for one reason in particular, because 
we have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We've been given baptism's rebirth, which leads to a rebirth again and again every time we, we hear the word of God and, and, and take the good news to heart, which leads to a rebirth again and again every time we approach the Lord's table for holy communion with the body and blood of Christ. You want to talk about honor? For his saving grace, those who have been baptized, honor the name of Jesus Christ above all. You want to talk about courage? Those who have been brought to faith, lift up the name of our Savior Jesus for his courage in carrying out God's plan to the finish for us. You want to talk about commitment? Yeah, I, I desire to commit my life to following Jesus Christ, and, and you do as well. But the commitment of the Lord Jesus Christ to do great work for our benefit, what he's done so that in him God might love the whole world and give eternal life to all who believe in him, all his people will praise the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit for the tremendous work he's done and the gift that he's given us.